Morning, morning. It's on. Maybe. Good morning, everybody. I think we're going to begin with a video. Are we cool on that? Cinderella's in baseball. And that's beautiful right there. Who you are and what you are will show itself sooner or later. These guys put themselves out on the stage every night. Every night. To be Here we go. made fun of on some TV show if they have a miscue, have adulation if they do something well, but that's what separates them. These are the best 750 players in the world that the world has to offer. The game's being played better than it ever has in the history of it. Pretty good. Run the bases. These are the good old days. <laughs> they are. We'll get to Buck in a minute. So a few years ago, Actually, a few years ago, what am I talking about? Maybe like 15 years ago. Um, I was in a staff meeting with, uh, at uh, Grace Fellowship where I interned for a while. And we were in a, um, this time where we're supposed to be doing this like affirmation exercise where we're going around and we're talking to people about, um, talking into our team about what we see in each other. Uh, and the things that, uh, like the bright spots in everybody's lives. And like, you know what I see in you is is your kindness, and I see, uh, I see in you is, is your ability to, to speak into someone in, in a hard time or, or something like that. Um, and we get uh, the, to me, and then my boss at the time um, writes down, everybody had to write down like one, one word that reminded them of this person. And we get to my boss, and he writes the word distract for me. He says, the thing that I think of when I think of Joe is the word distract. And I said, hey, you know, this is supposed to be like an affirmation exercise. This isn't supposed to be, you know, we might be getting into like the criticism stuff later. Um, and he's, no, 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 let me explain, let me explain. He says, I, I, there are tons of people here and people on this team that are extremely dedicated, focused individuals. And he says, I thank God for them. But one of the things I love about you, he says, that you are, have this unique ability for me to walk up to you with anything that I, ha I might have and have you change focus like that and change gears like that. And he goes, oh, we were thinking about this, now we've got to think about this. And he says, that's not easy. That's not something you necessarily train. And he was kind of affirming. And I kind of felt that a little bit um, in the text for this morning. As we're talking about Paul, he's getting to the end of this letter. We've been on this um, continuing 23-year uh, journey through the book of Romans. Um, and we're coming to the end of it, uh, towards the end of it anyway. Um, and Paul's now, he's, he's kind of coming out of the deeper theology, and he's getting into a little bit of the practical. He's talking about what his game plan is, what his plan is for him here. He's going to talk about um, where he is now. He's going to talk about where he's going, how he wants to visit the church in Rome, and how he needs to do some things in Jerusalem on the way to Spain. Um, and it's all this kind of really cool stuff, and he's talking about, okay, this is, I spent all this time developing this theology, and now we're going 
We're going to give it legs. Um, and it seemed to me like, like maybe Paul also uh, was gifted with a little bit of that, uh, that healthy distractedness or something, where he was able to say, you know, I, I need to do this, and I need to do this, and um, I need to have big goals, but I need to hold them loosely, and uh, that seems to be a really essential element, I think, to at least how I was praying through the text this week. Um, I've had a really interesting few weeks the last really, uh, that built on, built on a kind of really interesting past few months. A um, couple of pictures, a couple of times um, that kind of maybe helped me think about those changing gears about the things that um, I'm in a different environment now, I'm in a different type of situation, I'm in a different um, uh, um, group of uh, faith expression. And I needed to kind of be distracted a little bit. I needed to think like, oh God, wow, you're over here, but you're also over here? That's cool. And I'm sure that each of you could think of times when you had the same situation where like you might define the holy, you might define... um, things that are uh, churchy or things that are Christian, and you might have this kind of category for saying this, this structure, this area, this building, this com- community, this group, these activities, these are the things that actually are the Christian things. Um, and then how do I interact with the other ones? And then when things start happening in places that you didn't understand, like, well, that's weird. God, it seems like you're over here too. How does that work out? You know, so I'm, I'm, um, I go to school at St. Mary's Seminary, um, and uh, I go to the Ecumenical Institute, which is a school that is run in the seminary for uh, Catholic seminarians that are um, working towards priesthood. In the school, the school is housed by um, an ecumenical institute, which is where I go, um, and so I get to be in class with not only Catholic seminarians, but other Catholic um, people, like not necessarily seminarians, but um, also people from a wide variety of different denominational backgrounds. And it's been really cool to like talk about faith traditions and to kind of see the, um, the similarities that we have with each other. Similarities that I, I might have expected if I wasn't looking for it. I might have figured like, oh, they must do it really different there. And there's times when like the theology or the, um, the, the deeper meaning seem to really be there, and then their expressions of their faith are different. But then, wow, I never realized how much I have in common with a Methodist. I mean, I guess I knew it on a page, but I really do. Or a Catholic, for that matter, a Catholic person. So, at any rate, I'm going to school one day, um, and I had a little bit of time to kill. I probably should have been reading. But um, I had a little bit of time to kill, and I said, well, I'm going to pray in the chapel. Now, the chapel at St. Mary's Seminary is like this gigantic space. It is absolutely gorgeous. There's all this artwork, and there's some windows, and there's some um, art... uh, stone work and all this neat stuff, uh, so much stuff that I really don't understand because, um, you know, not being a Catholic, not from that faith tradition, it's kind of a little peculiar um, or a little bit different. But here I am in this room, and there is nobody there, this gigantic cavernous church. And I just get to walk in, and I sat down, and I see Jesus on the cross, and I sit there, and I ask some questions. I was like, God, how are you present here? How have you worked in this space? What, 
What about this room talks to me about your abundance? What are the blessings that I need to be aware of while I walk around this space? What's the need here? What's the longing here? What's the hope that this space or the people that occupy this space normally, what is it that they need? How do I experience something here and then take it out there? A few days later, or a few weeks later, um, I had for a class, I had to go to uh, a church experience that was a non-Western expression of faith. Um, And I went to another St. Mary's. I went to St. Mary's Antiochian Orthodox Church. And this was, I went on Palm Sunday. I wasn't here a few weeks ago. And that was really interesting. (laughs) Because I've been to a few Catholic services. I've never been to an Orthodox service before. And it was a tremendous learning experience because I did not really know what to expect. It essentially was two hours of chanting, um, which was really interesting. They don't use uh, music, uh, musical instruments at all in their worship. Um, it's a lot of prayers, but one of the interesting things about that prayer service and about that, their worship service was that the words that they were using were extremely familiar, even words that weren't necessarily um, scripture words, but these words that the way they described their God, the way they described God moving in their midst, the way they described um, their community and how God works through their community, all that was extremely familiar, even though it was two hours of chanting. So I had a chance to, um, to interview the priest of that parish, and um, I was just bowled over by his wisdom, um, and I'm looking forward to uh, maybe a future conversation with him. Then, so that's kind of like churchy stuff. And we might get back to that in a bit. But then, switching gears, um, I have the a distinct honor of uh, leading the company that I work, through, uh, work for um, with, with Ron at Scientific, um, leading us through uh, leadership training. And what we do is we get together at the Green Turtle on Saturday mornings, and we talk about how we can build into our teamwork how we can build uh, our team and make our team stronger, and how we can talk about things like brotherhood, and how we can say, like, you know what, what does sacrificial leadership, what does servant leadership look here? And I found myself thinking, God, how are you present here? How have you worked in this space? What is in abundance here? What are the blessings here that I need to be aware of? What is this these folks tell me about your character. What's the longing here? What's the need here? What hope do these men, these uh, men and women need? How do I take my experience here and then take it to a place out there? And then, this was really cool, on Easter Sunday, I got to go um, to my parents' house up in, uh, near the Pennsylvania line, and, and Amy and James uh, were playing shoots and ladders, so I decided to to step out for a second, and I, I actually was given this, like, uh, gift on Easter Sunday, this, this called a resurrection stick, and you, you smoke it, and uh, you walk around in a cigar. Um, anyway, <laughs> I called it a resurrection stick. But it was the most holy experience <laughs> that I've had in a long time, walking down this country road 
in silence, and it was about 70 degrees, and the birds were chirping, and there was nature, and there was these silent old houses, and I just think, God, how are you present here? You don't need to tell me. I know you're present here. How are you working through this space? How are you working in these cornfields? What's in abundance here? What are the blessings? What's the need? What's the longing here? How do I take my experience walking down this country road, and how do I take it somewhere else? Um, And then last week, I had the incredible opportunity to visit Jason's uh, school and go to General Theological Seminary, and I got to sit in on a couple of classes, and I got to learn about what it is that he's doing there, and let me tell you, he is being Jason Poling in New York. (laughs) Everything that you know about your pastor, and you're like, yeah, that's the kind of stuff he does. He's doing it there, and he's doing it really well. And that was a tremendous opportunity to meet the folks that he has been learning from and learning with. And I said, oh, God, how are you present here? God, how have you worked through this space? What is in abundance here? What are the blessings? What's the need? What is the longing here? What hope do these folks need? And how do I take this experience and how do I walk away from it and to apply it somewhere else? And then yesterday we had our team-building exercise at the halls with the EDGE group going to Pittsburgh, and like as Jen talked about, it's great times, and we actually had to get across the hall's lawn without walking on the grass. That was fun. And I said, God, how are you present here in this team, this group of of young people that are going to go somewhere else, and they're going to do something as a team, and then they're hopefully going to take that experience, and they're going to bring it back here. All these things, all these expressions, it's like, God, how are you working here and there and everywhere? Our text from Romans lays out this unfolding drama and outlines a game plan for Paul's ministry. Paul has, since chapter 2, like I said, he's laying out this increasingly practical guide for those, uh, those lives centered on the cross and the empty tomb. And now at the end of chapter 15, he's going to give that story legs. Paul's mission is to spread the gospel, and his vision, at least as he describes it here, uh, is to eventually make it to Spain. Uh, the bulletin cover, by the way, is a picture of Spain. After he takes care of a few other important things. Um, he, he'll tell his readers that he wants to visit the church in Rome. Something about seeing the Christians in Rome, Paul hopes, will be refreshing. He plans it out that there is something there that he has to do first, um, and then he'll go to Rome, and then he'll get refreshed. And in the company of the local church, and then he'll ha- head to Spain, which for Paul, Spain might as well have been the other end of the world. Paul believes that he is acting according to God's will. He's going to make it abundantly clear that whatever things he's accomplished has actually been accomplished in Christ through him. As, and for Paul, he has no desire um, for keeping that glory for himself. No, he knows that that his job is to play the part as God gives him. And he accepts the trials, and there are tribulations, and there's going to be persecutions that will go along with that. And he's given us this chapter after chapter of bold reminders of how God's grace gets worked out in and through and among Jesus' followers. And now he's going to close the letter with some of the black and white. We're talked about the theory and the theology of the church um, that give the church foundation. Now he's going to kind of give it legs, like we said, and 
what's interesting about earlier in the chapter, I think it's verse 14, he talks about um, how confident he is in them, how confident he is in the work that Jesus is doing among them. It's as if he's expecting them to do well. That clip struck me with the Buck Walter so hard this week when I saw that. He says, there's no Cinderella's in baseball. Who you are, oh, that's a great line, who you are and what you are will show itself sooner or later. Buck has confidence in the men who are about to enter into that baseball season. He has confidence that those are the best 750, play, uh, 750 men playing the sport and that the game is being played at such a competitive level, he's even called these the good old days. How often do you hear that? One of the exceptional things about Buck Showalter's leadership is his confidence in our guys. He walked in the Orioles organization with everyone in the sport considered the Orioles to be essentially the bottom of the barrel. And then he said, I like our guys. I want these guys. Now, I'm going to ask incredible things of them. I'm going to ask them to play in such a way that makes the rest of the sport take notice of Baltimore, and that's going to be demanding. But he began with confidence. He began with putting confidence in the work which had already been done, and then um, our team begins to taste that postseason for the first time in years and decades. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, remarks on the confidence that he has in them. The foundation of this is that he has confidence in the work that Christ is doing in them. As much influence as Paul had on the first century church, he wants to make it abundantly clear that he's taken his cues from Jesus. It's not what Paul has accomplished, but rather rather what Christ has accomplished through Paul. Any boasting is boasting in Christ, and that uh, will apply to the work Christ is doing in the church's that um, have been planted by the apostle, but he's confident because Christ is on their side. He's confident that they're full of goodness and they're filled with knowledge and they're able to instruct one another. They have the right character and they have the right competency. He has confidence that the people God has placed in the church in Rome effectively, which is the center of the world, are able to do the work of ministry to each other and to others. But more than anything, he has trust in Christ. He says, I like our guys. I want these guys because God wants these guys. And now I'm going to ask incredible things of them. I'm going to write quite boldly. I'm going to ask them to play the game at such a level that the world takes notice, and that's going to be demanding. He tells them that he's written these bold things because he needs to help them. He needs their help in the ministry to the Gentiles. He even says that by God's grace, he has been called to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, to be sanctified means to be made holy. When the uh, the New Testament speaks of the saints, it's actually literally referring to the holy ones. To say that words like, for Paul to use words like, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, is bold terms. It's, but it's also, um, to say that that's a bold term, it's, it's an understatement. Paul's mission 
is to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And it is his priestly service in that instead of an animal sacrifice being brought to the temple, now through the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus' gospel, living sacrifices are offered to God, offered to the God who has tabernacled with his people, all his people, Jew and Gentile, and are being sanctified, being made holy by the Spirit of God. It's really cool stuff. Paul was a pioneer of the gospel. He took the gospel where it had never been uh, heard before, to people who had never heard anything more than frustrated pagan deities. Because of, the job, uh, because of that job, though, Paul had um, been kept from visiting places like Rome, um, where a church had already been established. Again, Paul played his role as an apostle, but the church also had a role to play. Um, so picking up in verse 23 says, but now, chapter 15 again, with no further plans for me in these reasons, uh, regions, I desire, as I have for many years, to come to you when I go to Spain. For I do not hope to see you on my journey, for I do hope to see you on my journey and be sent on by you once I have enjoyed your company for a little while. Spain is a really interesting thing. Like I said, the, the commentators say that for Paul... Spain might as well have been the other end of the world. Might have been the end of the world. And I wonder if the first readers of that were like, Spain? Wow, he's, he's serious. You know? <laughs> he's going to Spain. Like, like, I mean, I believed it and all. But, um, but his, he, he, he really wants to do this thing. You know? Um, we don't actually know if he ever got to Spain. But he set that goal and he was looking towards something larger. Something that he was trusting God with that sort of work and that sort of goal. It was funny, it's funny because in one sense you read that, that scripture and it seems very grounded. Um, it, it reminded me of, uh, of the clip that Brian showed and about the, the strategy that he has for, um, for how his, the ministry works. And um, on one hand, it, it's very grounded. We're going to do this and then we're going to do this and this is how we're working it out. But also, um, you hold it loosely because, in a sense, you're also trusting God every step of the way, and you know that at any given moment, God's going to say, well, no, we need to do it this way. Um, and so, you, you, on one hand, you hold something um, firmly, and you say, God, I believe that you have this plan for, for this group, for this ministry, for this church, for this people, for this family. But in the other sense, we're always keeping our ear out for how are we going to trust God better? How can we do this in a way that's going to be God-honoring and hold the things loosely that we need to hold loosely? Because after all, it's Christ working through us. At present, however, picking up in verse 25, I'm going to Jerusalem in a ministry to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, Greece, have been pleased to share their resources with the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And they were pleased to do this. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material things. So the church in Judea was struggling financially. Um, And Paul is preparing to come and give them some support. One commentator mentions that what probably happened um, is that after the church in Judea sold their property, sold their farms and sold their fields and kind of pooled their resources into a common purse, a famine hit, and they lost everything. Um, Not to mention the struggles Paul will reference later in regards to the hostility um, 
Judean Christians were facing by those who rejected the gospel. Um, that's what's going to make this difficult. For the Gentiles, though, Paul was encouraging them not to sell everything into a common purse. But instead, he wanted them to keep their houses. He wanted them to keep their property, and he definitely wanted them to keep their businesses so that they could be in a position to help others. And they were like, where's the support coming from? Greece. Wait, Genesis 12 says that Israel will be blessed to be a blessing. Now, Paul, you tell me that you're going to be bringing money for us from Greece? From the Gentiles? I thought Jerusalem was supposed to be where the blessings flowed out of, not into. Maybe that money's tainted. Who knows how they got that money? I think we've gotten off script here, Paul. Perhaps we need to get involved here and put, a things, and put things into the proper order. No, no, Paul says. The Gentiles have shared in the spiritual blessings of God's kingdom rule. Just as they are sharing those blessings with Jewish Christians, they have an obligation to their brothers and sisters in Christ. It's even deeper than that. If we consider that hostility that Paul was facing in those from Judea, Christians and non-Christians. It would have been easy for Paul to um, keep his eyes completely to the West. We're told twice that it pleased those in Greece that were able to serve in this way, and it's only natural, because the truth is they owe it to them. Earlier in chapter 13, Paul reminds the church in Rome not to have any outstanding gifts or any outstanding debts, except for the debt to love one another. You are the people of God. You are defined none other by the sacrificial love of Christ. The only proper response to that sort of love is to love. Even if that looks opposite to who you would normally see as the helper and who you would normally see as the helpee and the helped, Is Israel rich in the spiritual, in their connection to God? Well, the gospel will flow out of Jerusalem. Are the Gentiles blessed with material wealth? Well, have they learned what God-honoring business looks like? Well, it's only fitting that those resources go to wherever they're needed. And not only that, Paul says that he and his traveling companions are going to carry this wealth to Jerusalem personally. It wasn't an electronic bank transfer. Paul had to risk dangerous roads, dangerous traveling, dis- uh, traveling conditions over long distances with large sums of money in order to help people that some of which could have been referred to by some as his enemies. All this because he believed that it was the right thing to do. And he believed that as Christ was working through him, that was his task. And that was the thing that maybe was in my head a little bit as I went through those different expressions of faith and those different expressions of teamwork and interaction with community. I see about, regardless of my relationship with the, that facility or regardless of my history with a certain group of people or regardless, I kept thinking about how can I be Christ? How can I do Christ's work here? Not how is this different from everything that I want to be real or everything that I want to be part of Christianity. No. How can I boast in nothing but Christ and do his work here and now? And how do I take something here and take it there? So when 
picking up in verse 28, he says, So when I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will set out by way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in earnest prayer to God on my behalf, that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. The God of peace be with all of you. Amen. Paul is a leader who has been given perspective. He is a leader who knows the plan, and he asks for God's protection, and he asks for the prayers, and uh, the, he wants God to be working in the community of his friends. He asks for the help from, the, uh, from a company of friends. And then asks, and then enters into the task, knowing that as long as he keeps his eyes focused on love, the love that flows from God, the love that flowed from the cross, the love that spoke of the resurrection and new life and new creation, as long as that's his center, as long as he's seeking first the kingdom of God and nothing else, that thing, I'll go wherever you want. I'll do whatever you want. I'll help anybody who needs it as long as that's you working through me and I'm dedicating my life to figuring out what that looks like and nothing else. It's a powerful calling. Powerful calling. Let's pray. Thanks, good Father, for your faithfulness to our community, to the communities that we get to reach out to, to the um, other folks from other faith traditions that we get to connect with occasionally and, and see how your love and how your kingdom is manifesting itself worldwide. We have this incredible gift in the modern era of being able to know how Christ is being made manifest even on the other side of the world. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you that also you have given us these gifts to help our neighbors to help the people that live 20 feet from our front doors. We just pray that whatever we do, that we boast in nothing but you, and that we're always looking and praying and meditating and thinking about how we can best serve you and how you are working through us. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Stand and join us. Just play these words to close.
Till I'm